Passive investing gives individuals an opportunity to participate in most all the benefits of real estate investing without as much risk and without as much effort. Not to say that you don't need to be educated, not to say you don't need to, you know, actively vet sponsors and deals and all that, but is much more hands-off than being on the active side. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jonathan Nichols. Jonathan is a full-time real estate investor at the age of 30, and he didn't get started that way. He started as a busy professional, an engineer, investing in one quadruplex, one fourplex. And today we're going through his journey of scaling as a real estate investor, of committing to the process, and making it happen. We also talk about the thought processes, the mindset differences between active real estate investing and passive real estate investing, and analyze why he went the active route rather than the passive route. In my experience, there are a lot of folks out there, and you might be listening right now, who haven't decided whether it's the right fit for you to become a an active real estate investor or to focus on your passive real estate investments and maximize your active income at your W-2 job or whatever you do for your full-time employment. Today, we're digging into Jonathan's thought processes, his mindsets, why he decided to go the route that he did and the process that he took to do so in hopes that maybe you can relate, maybe you can't relate, maybe this will help you gain some insight into your yourself, your own goals, and your own situation. Great conversation. He's a very experienced, highly qualified real estate investor with a lot of accomplishments behind him and many coming ahead. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. And to date, I've acquired, partnered on, invested in, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Jonathan Nichols. We're digging into his journey to become a full-time active real estate investor the mindsets, the principles, everything that he employed to get there. And hopefully this will help you gain some insights on your own situation and whether his path is right for you or a more passive path is right for you. Without any further ado, here we go. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to dive into your journey and your burn the ships mentality, if you will, diving straight into full-time real estate investing. But for our listeners out there, who don't know about you and your background. Can you tell us about yourself and your business? Yeah, Taylor, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My story is interesting. You know, I grew up with a very traditional upbringing, you know, go to school, get a degree, get a good job. And, you know, my chosen career field was aerospace engineering. Went to school and got a degree in aerospace engineering and started working full-time for a local aerospace company here in Dallas-Fort Worth area where I live. And started down that path, you know, had a great start to my career, got my graduate degree, et cetera, and thought that I was set, you know, 
And then lo and behold, my wife, Paula, and I got married a little over five years ago, five and a half years ago. And she informed me one day that we needed to find a hobby together. And I said, a hobby, <laughs> like, what, what do you want to do? Play golf or which anyone who knows me knows I'm not a really a golf kind of guy. So anyways, you know, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And so we pondered it for a while. And one day I was reading a book that I see on your shelf there, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and got the idea of like, hey, we need to buy real estate. Like, this is something we need to get into for investing. And so we said, hey, why don't we make this our hobby? Like, it'll make us money instead of spending money. And it seems like a great thing to do. So we had no huge ambitions for it or any, you know, three-year, five-year, 10-year plans or goals. It was just you know, we could invest additional money we had in the stock market or we could invest it in something else. And we were choosing to try something else. So we began to learn about real estate. And one day my wife comes home and informs me about something called a house hack, which is basically where you go live in another house that you get a primary mortgage on with the specific purpose of making it an investment long term. And so my wife informs me, not only we're going to do a house hack, but we're going to house hack a fourplex, right? So, you know, buy a four unit apartment building, move into one of the units, renovate it while living there and have three tenants living next to us. Nothing can go wrong. So the next thing I know, two months later, I find myself you know, going to sleep one night in my newly purchased fourplex. And the bad thing about that fourplex was that unfortunately, while my math had said, hey, we're going to probably make like 300 bucks a month of cash flow, we were actually probably paying two or 300 a month of cash flow because there was so much deferred maintenance and repairs. And so I said, well, this is a bummer. Like, you know, we're not going to go bankrupt over it or anything, but it is discouraging when you have a plan like that and it basically backfires. And so we said, okay, what can we do? And we decided to turn one of the units into a short-term, like an Airbnb type of unit. And so began to rent it out. It did extremely well. So well, in fact, that we immediately converted the others thereafter to short-term <laughs> and moved out of there and converted the one we were in to short-term. And then instead of negative cash flowing $300, we were positive cash flowing about 3000 So that was how we got started in real estate, you know, a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but we found our niche and started investing more into residential properties to convert into short-term rentals and, and a business doing that. So we continued down that path for a couple of years and, and had a lot of success with it, but you know, realized we needed a different business that we could scale easier. You know, short-term rentals, very time intensive, very management intensive. And so we wanted something more scalable. And we also wanted something that we could pull <clears throat> other people and other investors and participate in. So we had a lot of friends and family who, you know, would tell us that, hey, we'd like to invest in real estate like you do, but, you know, we don't want to be landlords. We don't want to have tenants. And so, you know, what can we do? And so we begin to learn about multifamily syndications. And for anyone that doesn't know multifamily syndications, just when you pool a group of investors together to purchase a large multifamily complex, and you have basically two classes of shares, a general partnership shares, which are the active individuals on the investment that find the deal, you know, raise the equity for the deal, find the debt, run the business plan. And then you have the limited partners who are strictly passive and just invest money in the deal. And so we felt like this could be a great business model for us. And so we began to learn a little bit about multifamily investing and eventually signed up for a mentorship program called Michael Blanc. Went through his mentorship program and eventually did our first deal, a hundred unit complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then from there, just continued to scale, you know, continued closing more deals thereafter in Texas and Oklahoma markets. And then eventually 
about October of 2021, I left my corporate job to do this full time. And so, you know, now we're full time multifamily syndicators, still with the same focus. And that's our story in a nutshell. That's great. That's awesome. And I really want to dig today into why it, it gravitated you to go more active and leave the certainty, if you will, of full-time employment to go into this much more uncertain world of real estate entrepreneurship. Because I think a lot of people out there are grappling with the decision. Maybe they're pulled one way or the other. They think they maybe want to be on the active side, but they're not sure if they have the right mindset, mentality, goals, work ethic, whatever for it, or vice versa. So what drew you into going more active and you know leaving the corporate world? Because there's a lot of uncertainty in that. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I get that question a lot from people. And it's funny because when we started learning about real estate investing, we went to a lot of meetups, but one in particular I'm thinking of right now that we went to most every month. And what's interesting is no one ever came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, Jonathan, you know, you can be active or you can be passive. So, you know, we were under the mindset that the only way to get in this game was to be active. First, obviously, as as single family landlords, that's what we kind of learned about originally. And then even on the multifamily side, it was like, hey, if you want to be serious, like you need to be full time. And so I don't think I really grasped until, you know, a few years down the road, one, that you could be a strictly passive investor, but two, kind of what the pros and cons were between the two of those. So, you know, a lot of times you listen to maybe bigger pockets or whatever, and you hear interviews and it's all the good stories, right? It's, hey, I made a million bucks in two years and da, 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 da. And that's all true and it's all possible, but they won't tell you the cons, which is, you know, the challenges, the stress and the intense effort that it takes to get to that point. And so passive investing gives individuals an opportunity to participate in most all the benefits of real estate investing without as much risk and without as much effort. Not to say that you don't need to be educated, not to say you don't need to, you know, actively vet sponsors and deals and all that but is much more hands-off than being on the active side. So for me, one, I didn't know there was any other way. And two, I think it fits with my personality. Like you can probably see behind me, my wife made my little background for me. You know, it's a lot of medals from my hobbies, running marathons and triathlons and stuff like, I'm someone I like to live on the edge. You know, I like to work hard. I like to really push myself and do my best. That's my personality. That's what I get joy from. And so for me, being active makes a lot of sense. But you know, for other people, they love their corporate world job, but they just want a steady investment that's going to produce dependable returns and, you know, ultimately provide for their retirement. You know, perhaps passive investing is a, a better alternative. So I do wonder about, about that to clarify maybe a little bit more is, you know, I don't know very many people who love their corporate job. Maybe they tolerate their corporate job. They're okay with it, but it, maybe they're not dying to get out of it as fast as possible. What do you think about for for folks that are maybe a little bit more on the fence with, hey, I can live with this corporate position, but I really want to get some passive income going in real estate. Is that is that enough of a drive, a burning motivation to really take the actions necessary? Because it's a, it's a lot of work to do these deals, a lot of risk, right? Late nights, early mornings, all that kind of a thing, going to these networking events. If somebody's a little more in that gray area, are they going to be motivated enough to put in the work on the active side? 
Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think first of all, let's talk, let's talk really quickly about being active on single family, even though I understand we don't want to focus on that. So when you, when you look at individual people who get in as landlords on single family, the burnout rate is incredibly, most landlords after a handful of years, they sell their properties because they're tired of getting called on the weekends. They're tired of having things break. They're tired of tenants that don't pay or whatever the problem is. So, you know, that's the part that no one talks about on the residential side. Not to say you can't make money on the residential side. I certainly have just saying that they don't talk about those headaches. The other thing they don't talk about is the risk. And so on an apartment, if I have a $4,000 plumbing repair, it's nothing. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, another day. If I have a $4,000 plumbing repair on a single family property, my cash flow is gone for the year. And so a lot of times we're going to talk about the risk associated with that. So that's one thing to consider on the single families. On the multifamily side, what you have to understand is as an active investor, you own a business, a full-fledged business. And in that business, you are pulling in investors' money, significant amounts, sometimes, you know, good portions of life savings and investment in order to, you know, make a return. And so you have to be top notch in this game if you want to make money for passive investors. And so to me, it's, yes, I'm leaving my corporate world job, but I probably work twice as many hours now as I did in the corporate world. And I love doing it, but it's out of the desire to help my passive investors. It's out of the desire to be successful in what I've promised to my passive investors. And so that's not to say there are not benefits to it. There certainly are. Like I get to plan my schedule a lot more now. I have more flexibility. I get to do something I love doing. I feel like I'm making a difference in the the lives of both our residents and the people who are investing, but it's not without its challenges too. So, you know, those are a few things that I would consider. Do you think age factors into this at all? We'll say from from your own judgment, but but for me, I'll, I'll just give you an example. For me, I feel I took uh, personal, professional, financial risks in my 20s that now that I'm in my 30s, I would maybe rethink a little bit harder. And once I hit my 40s, it'd probably be a no. I mean, I didn't have you know children. I don't have children now, but we may down the road. The calculus changes when your risk profile changes. You get a little bit older. That time horizon shrinks a little bit. Do you think your age now and your age when you were kind of getting started factored into your risk tolerance or any energy levels with your willingness to you know work many more hours or will you do you think you would still have that that fire that burn if you'd gotten started in your 30s 40s 50s yeah that's a good question so i think the answer is like the the fire's there it's just like where is it going to be distributed to right and so you know if you're married you have an obligation i believe to your spouse to be a good husband if you have kids you have an obligation i believe to be a good parent we're in similar boats where I don't have kids yet. You know, we were pretty newly married when we started our investing journey. And so I imagine when we do, like, you know, we'll dial it back a little bit from where it is now. But that being said, I I also think that, you know, you have to think about what are your goals and just what does it take to get there, right? And so, you know, even even someone with kids who's like, okay, well, I don't want a house hack a house or a fourplex or whatever because I have kids. Fair argument. I'm not, I never argue with someone on that when they ask me, but what if I told you that house hacking that fourplex could be your key to financial freedom in three years? Would it be worth it or would it not, you know? And so you have to weigh all those things out against, you know, what's 
the cost benefit analysis, if you will, and is it worth it to you? And the answer to that's going to be very person dependent. So yeah, I think as, as, you know, I continue to get older, I actually just turned 30, you know, that probably I don't, I don't know that my risk tolerance will change because I've never had a lot of risk or tolerance for losing money. Not into that at all. I do think that hopefully my my skill set and you know my wisdom for vetting investments has improved to where it's just lower risk by nature of of more experience. And so that is one thing that I certainly hope you know continues to develop with time. Okay. So I do also find it interesting that you you pivoted from short-term rentals into larger multifamily. And I invest in large multifamily too. So I mean I obviously support that decision, but short-term rentals were a few years ago and still remain, but especially a few years ago, they were such a hot growth market. Everybody was seeing the cash flow potential. You were experiencing the cash flow potential yourself. It's interesting to me that you took a step away from that short-term rental model to get into the larger multifamilies. You mentioned a few reasons why, but is there anything else that really drove you away from from short-term rentals into larger multifamily? That's a fascinating decision. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what changed in the short-term rental business is when I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. You may have heard of it by Tim Ferriss. And and the whole point of the book is basically as you're developing a business, there's a few things that you need to consider to run the business efficiently. And basically it consists of eliminating unnecessary tasks, automating tasks that can be automated, delegating the remainder of the tasks, and only doing yourself those few tasks that you absolutely necessarily have to do. And so I got this idea in my head, hey, what if we scaled this business, but I made it like a, a four hour work week kind of business, you know, where like I'm eliminating things that don't need to be eliminated. And, you know, we could go on for an hour of what goes into that, you know, automating parts of the business that can be automated and then hiring the right people to work in the business, like managers, cleaners, handymen to take care of 90% of the tasks that do require a person to attend. And so that's what I did. And so today, you know, we have 20 short-term rental units Wow! and I work about four hours a week on that business. So, you know, I hit my goal with it and it's a great business. There are some big challenges ahead for the short-term rental industry. I think 2023 is going to be one of the worst years for short-term rentals that we've seen in a while. So we're kind of braced for that. You know, a lot of people have way overpaid on short-term rentals the last two years, assuming certain amounts of income, et cetera. I would argue that the you know, many of the clients in short-term rental have gotten worse in terms of, you know, how they care for your property and, you know, how they are as far as to work with and et cetera. So we're, we have some challenges ahead of us. It's not to the point where like I plan to get out of the business, but I do think it'll be more of a, a lower point in the short-term rental cycle, as I like to call it, you know, here for the next 12 to 18 months. But yeah, I'm very much into that, but that, that business is extremely management intensive and it's a lot more risk particularly if you have not scaled and don't have the right people hired for it. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious about building those systems, especially early on you know, building business systems is an investment upfront, right? And you may or may not be when you get started bringing in enough revenue to generate or to, excuse me, justify certain expenses. You have to kind of build it and water it. So the business will grow right and hit that point. How did you mentally, again, this might go back to the risk thing that we were discussing a little bit earlier, but how did you mentally get through those decisions to build those systems, believing that there would be, you know, a gain on the other side? 
Yeah. So honestly, I think it was a one step at a time kind of thing. Now I'm actually, I don't know if I mentioned this in the intro, but I'm actually a coach for Michael Blanc's program. So I help a lot of students with their first multifamily deals. And one problem that I see a lot of new real estate investors have is they have that long-term, you know, 10-year goal very clear in their heads. What they don't have clear in their heads is the next step, the next two steps and the next three steps. And so for me, one thing I did, whether intentionally or inadvertently, I don't know, but it was just focus on the next step ahead. So I had a problem. I've got units that need to be cleaned. How do I figure that out? Guess I have to hire someone to clean them. How do I do that? I don't know. Go figure it out. You know, I have check-in messages now for five units that I need to send out every day. How do I automate that? What software is available? Go figure it out. Place, right? So it's not something where it's like, okay, in a week I have it all figured out. It's kind of solving one problem at a time with that end goal in mind, which I'm still working to even today, I would argue, but with that end goal and but not losing sight of like, okay, I'm not trying to eat the whole elephant. I'm just trying to take the next three bites, right? Okay. Okay. So you also said a little bit earlier that when you got started, you didn't know that these passive investment options were available to you. Do you think if you had known about passive investment being available, that that would have been appealing enough to you just, just based on your character and your, your preferences, or would that not have been maybe exciting enough or would it not have seen, would it have not seemed like the right avenue for you, no matter what? Man, that's like probably going to be the hardest question of the day. <laughs> so, so I have two thoughts on that. aerospace engineering is an industry where most people do it, you know, not for the money or because of the cushy benefits, not to say it's a bad industry to be in, but it's because they love it. It's because they like flight, they like aerospace, they like the challenges it brings. And I was one of those people. And so for me, I think if I had been in a role, in the corporate role that I just absolutely loved, you know, kept being challenged by, I think I could have very well stuck with it and just passively invested. When I started out in my career, I loved it. The challenge, and I think this has as much to do with my personality clashing with the corporate world as anything, is that, you know, there's a lid on how far you can go, right? So like if you're an engineer, there's certain levels. You have to be in the company so long to reach certain levels. If you go above and beyond and get really high marks on your performance review, you may get a 4% raise instead of a 3% raise. And for me, those types of limits were extremely discouraging to my personality because I'm someone who I'm willing to put in the effort that no one's willing to do, but I want to get the rewards that no one gets, right? And so for me, that was very difficult to grapple with. And after a few years, I kind of just up on it and left to do my own thing. So, you know, but I think that if I had been in a role long-term that I just loved, maybe I would have stayed with it, you know, because Truly speaking, like passive investing, particularly in high quality commercial real estate, like multifamily is one of the best risk adjusted returns you can find. If you have a sponsor with a track record that knows what they're doing and they're diligent, your money is, in my opinion, safer there than the stock market, safer than cryptocurrency, safer than buying a single family property. You know, your money is incredibly safe. And so there is a chance I may have stayed if, if that had been the case, but it wasn't, so I'm not. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it's, you know, it's tough. And I'm sure we have folks listening to us right now who can relate to that mentality and folks out there who, who can't relate to them at that mentality and say, that doesn't really sound like me. And, and it's tough to 
know ourselves, right? I think for for any of us, and and I think getting case studies like yours can help us better understand ourselves, our own goals, our priorities, and and what trajectory we might want to take. So, love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jonathan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Oh, man, it has to be our first multifamily property that we syndicated in the Tulsa, Oklahoma market. You know, the first one is there's a lot of fears, a lot of sleepless nights going into it, not just because it's a large project, but because it was the first project where we were pulling in other people's money to do it. And, um, you know, we we very carefully analyzed the deal, very carefully vetted the partners we were working with, but literally had no red flags on the deal. And so long story short, we closed that deal, you know, over a couple of years ago now. It's doing extremely well, far above projections. Investors are super happy. And so, you know, it's one of those things that you always do your homework, but if you know it's the right decision, you know, don't back down from it. So that deal, I would say to date is is probably our best investment that that we've participated in. Awesome. Awesome. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. So, you know, I won't give too many details or names, but it's probably a path. So I also invest passive, I have a number of passive investments. And one of the early ones we made early on, I think maybe was not the best. And, you know, it was just in short, very disappointed with how, you know, the sponsorship team ran the deal, how they did on it. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned there, even though it's a passive investment, it's like, you know, properly vetting sponsors, learning how to interview people, you know, whether that be on the passive side or potential partners on the active GP side. And so, you know, kind of had some disappointing results with that, but was incredibly grateful. It was not an active deal. It was not a deal I had any investors money in. And so I got to learn those lessons without having to turn around and explain them to, to anyone else who had been involved. So I was very grateful. Okay. So what would you say is your like key takeaway from that particular experience? Is that vet the sponsor better? I would rather think of whatever market you think is the best market in the US, which everyone's going to disagree, right? I would rather have a great sponsor in middle of nowhere, terrible market running my deal than mediocre or poor sponsor in the best market, like straight hands down. Not saying property doesn't matter, not saying market doesn't matter. I'm just saying sponsor is is the number one thing to consider. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I think that tells the story. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I think it's don't set limiting beliefs for yourself. And so, you know, I've always been someone, like I mentioned, that likes to challenge myself. When I was in college, towards the end of my college time, I set a goal. I wanted to run the Boston Marathon. 
to go run that, you have to qualify and run a certain time. It's a very quick time to run. And in my mind, there was no way I would ever be able to run that speed. Like it was just, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I don't even know why I started out with that goal. But over, it was not easy, but over a period of a few years, I was able to train and eventually qualify and go run it. And when I started out in multifamily, I had the same feeling that I had when I started on that goal. You know, I owned a few single family properties, but it was, how am I ever going to build to buy a hundred unit complex? How am I ever going to convince a million dollars worth of investors to participate in an investment? You know, how am I ever going to do this or this? But I think that you have to just be very clear on what your goal is, write it down. If it's not written, it's not real. And then, like I said earlier, just take that next bite, take that next step and go execute until you hit it. It may take a few years. It's not going to be an overnight thing, but if you put in that, you know, there's not a lot of limits to what I think we can accomplish if you're, if you're willing to persist until you succeed. Awesome. Well, I love that. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. So on our website, which is apogeemfc, like multifamilycapital.com, we have a free ebook you can download. It's all about passive investing. And it also, you know, gets you in our ecosystem where you can reach out to us. We can reach out to you. So definitely encourage folks to take a look at. Also, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you just want to send me a direct message there, I'm sure that you can find me on there without any problems. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.